This episode of Better Cast All is brought to you by HelloFresh. For a total of $60 off your first order, yes, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash Saul60 and enter promo code Saul60. Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. And I am Aaron. And we're here to do our season four wrap up. It's an annual tradition at this point. Uh, four years running. So uh, did we do one last year? I don't even know. Because, like, did Better Call, like, is Better Call Saul another one of the ones yeah, that I don't missed even know if you can call years? this annual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's whenever the hell they feel like doing seasonal. it. Seasonal. We call come back seasonal. to it. Yes. Seasonal for sure. Uh, so we're here to kind of discuss the season overall and our feelings on it. I think. I'm in the minority here. Every review that I was reading of season four just kept getting more and more elaborate, more and more ink spilling over how amazing, fantastic this season was. And honestly, I came away from it with a really, really excellent moment, but I felt like there weren't as many moments that thrilled me in this season as previous ones. And also the thing that they were trying to do overall just wasn't working for me as an audience member. How'd you feel about it? Yeah, no, I mean, again, this is not a bad episode. This is not a bad season of television. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's another one of those things that in retrospect, maybe it'll grow in stature. Um, But my first uh, my first immediate thought on finishing the season is this is going to be kind of in my mind, like looking back a very flabby in the middle season. Uh, a season that easily could have had two, three, maybe even four episodes taken out of it, um, and it would have been materially better. Um, however, and and as a consequence, I'd probably rank my enjoyment of the seasons. Like I think three is the best, two is is right up there. Then you've got a pretty you know, a bit of a distance back one, and then four a little bit below that. And I didn't think season one was terrible. I just thought it was a show that wasn't quite sure what it wanted to do. And that's also a fact. We've heard interviews from the creators that they were kind of like, they sold this show. Mm-hmm. And then as they started writing it, realized, well, this isn't the show that people want, not necessarily the show we wanted to do, but it's a diff it's, it's different. And, and it, it kind of felt that way. And, and maybe because Vince Gilligan left production, maybe because I mean, I got to talk about this. I read multiple interviews and including like they talked about this on in the uh, insider podcast where Peter Gould is talking like they might go multiple more seasons. <laughs> okay. Like, I was convinced that when AMC greenlit two that that was going to be like the Godfather deal. Like, you know, uh, I'm giving you an offer. You can't refuse. Wrap this shit up. Uh, and that felt kind of like in our line, but like, I, I so so ba- before we discuss that back to my main thrust I think that um this felt li- felt like they didn't quite know what they're doing cuz I don't think they quite know I need I know they know the final shape of the show but they're not sure whether they want to do that in one season or 3 mm-hmm. and to me that's crazy that's crazy <laughs> get out next season and 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 say something I I I don't know what 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 do you think about that Huh. Have you seen the, what That's I'm talking about? Like, uh, no, I haven't. I haven't looked around. To, I thought they to said that on on the Insider too. They were talking about like maybe? Be, being coy about like, oh, I don't know if there's going to be two, three, maybe four seasons. Um, oh well, I mean, I don't think it's going to go four seasons. Yeah, I think that's a little pie in the sky. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know because there there's a lot of meat still on the bones. Like, 
I think Kim's uh, relationship with Jimmy has to go south, obviously. I could see maybe, you know, not an entire season to do that, but we've got a lot of other stuff to wrap up as well or to at least get into shape for Breaking Bad mm-hmm. uh, with when it comes to, like, Gus and Mike and Nacho mm-hmm. and... Uh, a lot of a lot of parts moving there but then also you've got the gene stuff right yeah which i think we could potentially stretch out and make very interesting if if they wanted to go there for like a longer term engagement kind of thing mm-hmm. so if, if you wanted to do two more seasons i think there's two more seasons there hmm. i i don't think there are three more seasons there at least with the story that we've set up so far uh but i think you could do it in a very tight one hmm I think they could do uh, all of that next year. Oh, yeah. then that's, I guess, my preference, because when I go back and look at all of these seasons, I think there's easily two, sometimes three, sometimes four episodes that of worth of stuff that could have been condensed. And I think the show knows it because anytime they've got a chance to do a montage or, you know, break break a narrative structure, they do and they linger there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's part of it because that's kind of the show's aesthetic, but I also think they've picked the show's aesthetic to it's like, you know, I don't I don't frequently wear broad horizontal stripes because I'm no a, I'm I'm a I'm a portly man and that just accentuates it. Uh mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's an optical illusion making me look larger than I am. Uh yeah, so I, I feel like they, they knew that the show had strengths and weaknesses and they're putting it in a container that accentuates its strengths. Having said that, I can wear all the thin vertical stripes that I want, and I'm not going to look like I've got a Herculean physique, you know? And I feel like the same way, like, every once in a while, uh, you can see the love handles on this show. And I felt like yeah. the love handles uh, were a little bit more pronounced this season. That's the thing. I, I... And, and so, like I say, when I hear giving Gould... Uh, uh, like like a, a whole three more seasons, I think. Oh my god, you know <laughs> that. What what are we gonna like? There's not enough. There's not enough pinstripes in the world to hide all that. Yeah, normally when people say this is a return to form for something, they yeah. mean that in a good way. And yeah. in the case of Better Call Saul, I kind of almost mean that in a bad way because I had some big problems with the pacing and the indulgence mm-hmm. of season one. Yeah, right. This show, and I think season four is a return to form. Yeah, as regards season one, because there were a lot of moments where I was just like, "This is going on too long. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not saying enough with the Mm -hmm. things you're doing." Mm -hmm. Um, Which was a a criticism that I could never level at a show like Breaking Bad. Yeah, it was always doing more in a scene than it had any right to. Right, and pulling it off. Uh, And in seasons two and three of this show, I felt like we're doing the same and right. season four just it left me a little flat it, it left me feeling like this show had started to overindulge a bit uh-huh. in its own construction do you buy my theory that this is a little bit of showgoer uncertainty about like i don't know I, i'm not you know vince gilligan has left and obviously, you know, he's a, a big part of the reason the Breaking Bad's awesome um, and a big part of the reason Better Call Saul's awesome. And I'm nervous about that. Mm-hmm. And I maybe want to, like, strike out and set my own tone. And I also don't know if I want to wrap this up in one season or three. Like, I, to me, this feels this season felt unconfident. I mean, and, they've got and, a, yeah. And, and hearing the fact <laughs> yeah, yeah. that, like, Vince left and then Peter is, like, unsure about how long, like, to me, that feels like a lack of confidence, too. It's interesting because almost every writer across the board, professional film critic, right? Yeah. And this is why I'm 
never going to be a professional film critic because <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what I think, and it's not going to be based on like some super deep literary insight yeah. that I have. It's just how I feel coming away from a show. Uh, everybody seems to be writing the exact opposite, that this was so expertly crafted and so ingeniously nuanced that it, it went to another echelon in this season of television. And right. I'm like, eh, maybe, but it wasn't entertaining. I, I hesitate <laughs> to say, cause like, it's been a lot of years since I called out a professional reviewer on this and they actually fucking got pissed and took exception at it. But like, I okay. do think, but it's everybody. It's uh, I'm way in the minority here. No, but I do think, and I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's entirely possible that this just, struck me and Jim wrong okay mm -hmm. um so I don't want to say this is like but I also have a theory that on some of these very highly regarded shows uh I feel it like when I was watching the finale I like I in the back of my mind I'm thinking oh god I don't like this and I'm going to have the psychic cost of not liking something everyone else likes okay and it to me it's like yeah. you know it it turns it that that directly affects monetization like less you know we have a f podcast for fans of Better Call Saul. If the hosts mm -hmm. of the, f the show are like, ah, man, I, I still want to be called a fan of Better Call Saul in the Breaking Bad universe, but can I, you know, you have to like hedge these bets and do it. you can't just say like, ah, man, I just was kind of let down without people taking exception to it. I think I one of us can. One of us. The other has to be right. uh, universally positive. Honestly. Right, 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 right. Yeah, <laughs> we have to coordinate that, obviously. Right. We just fucked up. We thought Behind it was Jim's scenes. turn to be the yeah, storm cloud and, uh, and, and we both were. Um, <laughs> but I do see, feel like that when you've got these highly regarded shows, there's, there's, two, there's two things that, that I see in these reviewers. One is no one wants to be the 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 no one wants to be like the bellwether when something's gone to you know because like if it's a momentary downswing and then it's back up again then it look like they're like chicken little and plus they'll have the fans give them hate mail and shit uh and they don't want to be like an outlier like i feel like there's a little bit of that peer pressure and also there's also the the opposite is the contrarian streak where when everyone is universally loving something and someone's like it's not striking them right so they have to explain why Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if I'm the contrarian or if everybody else is like just kind of like the nervous herd of sheep. Um, and I and I and it's funny because like the reviewer got really angry, but I'm like or dismissive. And I'm like, I'm just saying that you might have a bias that you're unaware of. Like, that's not I feel like the correct response to that is like, yeah, you might be right. Who can know? You know, <laughs> the correct response is you might be right. And you also might be biased. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I mean, to me, it's like it's a it's a uh, I'm engaging in metacriticism, uh -huh. which I think is interesting, but maybe no one else does. Uh, no, I feel like the more uh, it's so weird because what? what here, go, I, go I'm it, sorry, because yeah. no, I, no. I, I get I'm, I'm going on multiple tangents here. I'm, I'm weathermanning. Um, so I think that what that that when i read there's like a certain type of read a review where i can tell a person's like genuinely raving about it mm -hmm. and there's a certain type of review where i feel like someone is like observing the the forms but there's not a lot of emotion and heat and, and this is a completely subjective and i could be entirely wrong and like i felt that way about uh the last jedi reviews like it's 97 98 mm -hmm. critically acclaimed right on rotten tomatoes mm -hmm. i think it's a bad star wars film um hmm. and it's proved to be divisive amongst the fandom like i think that in the next few years you're going to see some think pieces from these people like maybe we are wrong about the last jedi 
and it's like the turn of conventional wisdom, you know, like I like I, I feel like there's a little bit of that with this season. And this is so self-serving and so obnoxious for me to even be saying it. I fully admit I fully admit it. But like I do feel like if unless they stick the landing next year, you're going to see a lot or whenever they stick it, you're going to see a lot of people saying that this was a misguided and it never quite hung together and blah, blah, blah. In, in a way that I don't think Breaking Bad ever would have suffered from that. Like, if they had shit the bed in the finale, people would have, like, been lining up to say, but boy, the journey there was worth it. And people would even yeah. be defending it. I, I just, like, I don't feel like Better Call Saul is getting the kind of press that I don't think it quite deserves yet. <laughs> so that's my thesis. Uh, my self-serving thesis is every critic is wrong but me, and they're all going to admit it. At some point in the future, I mean, I yep. this is ridiculous yeah. even as I'm saying it. But <laughs> sure, this is. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like the more, the more I feel like I'm doing gymnastics to describe yeah. how I feel about a thing, the less good I think I'm doing. Because like, right it, it, at some point, it boils down to were you engaged with the material? Yeah. Yes or no? Right. Yeah, yeah. And. And like busting out all the fancy words and and hundreds of them to describe why you were feeling that way or the exact moments in the show that made you feel that way at a certain point is just masturbation. Like yeah, yeah. I I came away from this season feeling less than fulfilled by the things that I saw on screen. Mm -hmm. Isn't that's the thing that I want to say to people. And yeah. that doesn't mean that my opinion is the only opinion out there or yeah. that my opinion should be, you know, viewed as superior to everyone else's it essentially should say do you like the type of tv that i describe myself liking mm -hmm. and if you do and you haven't seen like season four of break of better call saul and you like the stuff that i like then maybe you wouldn't like season four of better call saul yeah. as much yeah that's all reviews are there for right yeah. is to say do i know what this person likes mm -hmm. if i do that guides what i might go see what right. i might like engage with yeah i think the truly great it's like roger ebert taking another level where they're transparent enough about their biases where you can be like yeah. oh well roger thought this but i know i'll like it because roger has a you know a bugaboo about this or yeah it's a this broader is, appeal this is a dumb action film and he gave it three and a half stars because i know roger ebert loves dumb action films and i kind of give him a miss so like but, i but but here's the thing is like i don't I'm not sure exactly. I can't put my finger on exactly. I mean, yes, the pacing. Yes. But like a lot of people are citing that as like the triumphs of the season. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, I do know that like tonal shifts are my big problem. I don't feel like that was the problem with the, you know, uh, I feel like wild and plausible inconsistencies are my kind of my bugaboo. There's a little bit of that because I really did feel like there was a lot of left turns on character arcs with Kim and Werner. Um but mostly it's just pacing. And when, when a lot of the people are saying people I respect and admire are saying the pacing is the hallmark of the show. And it's like one of its big calling cards and saving graces. I'm like, okay, well I'm just, uh, I'm not in for that. I just know that like, I comparing to like better call Saul, which is a good television show. I would have watched it even if we weren't podcasting about it and had a genuinely positive opinion of it, which is the other thing I hate having to explain why I slightly dislike something because it, it turns me into a fucking hater when I'm just oh, right. like a, you know, but like I compare this to like sharp objects or, uh, uh, the expanse 
shows where like I literally fucking couldn't wait until the episode. I watched the episode live every single time I had a, a chance to. And in the case of Expanse, I was watching the uh, yeah the, before the, it was out. Yeah, I was watching <laughs> before screener. it was out through the screeners and like like oh god, I just watched like three weeks worth, and I'm gonna have to wait three weeks. Ah, Better Call Saul like. You know, a lot of, for first time in a long time, I wasn't live. Well, I mean, we had to live watch it. But like mm. when I got back from Vegas, if it was sharp objects at Expanse and I got home at one o'clock in the morning, I would have watched it. Mm. I went to sleep. So, you know, watched it the next day. I, I just feel like that's a little indicator of my enthusiasm. It's not damning. It's just saying that, like, yeah. it's not I wasn't as caught up as the most caught up I've been this year. Jesus. Well, let, let me try to explain another thing that mm-hmm. kind of put me off on this season yeah and i think this is a thing they were going for and in that case bravo you succeeded this season was not nearly as much fun as previous seasons there was no moment like uh the explaining you know having a, a breakdown and explaining mm. to these old ladies what a chicago sunroof is right? right yeah uh there was no moment like a squat cobbler in this season there was the huel uh get out of jail cards <laughs> right writing session which, which was overly great, long yeah. and less than entertaining in my opinion yeah. uh better call saul became a slightly different type of show this uh-huh. season um one that's more you know melancholy and and quiet and not as fun and yeah. honestly that's not what i was looking for out of my better call saul and you know everybody's gonna stand up and say well of course it had to go that way Right. Uh, yeah, of course it does, but that doesn't mean I have to enjoy it. And it happened with better Breaking Bad too. Like later seasons of Breaking Bad didn't have even as much dark humor as the first ones did. Uh yeah. and there's few there was a few like Jesse gulping water and uh you know at the at the dinner and buyout. Um but they were kind of fewer and, and far between, but at that point, everybody was kind of like taught to like, OK, it, it would have felt jarring and out of place to have the slapstick humor from the pre- previous seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here they, it's they like when the hum- furious too. When, when the humor goes away, like what is the show left with a bre- breakneck pace? No, like it's left with a, it's, it's a very quiet and introspective and, and, and it gets its tension from mostly char- like deep character beats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some gunfights and occasionally I mean, it's not devoid. And honestly, that's the stuff that worked the best. Like the early stuff, like the, the first two or three episodes and the last two or three episodes, the middle where there wasn't a lot going on. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where the problem lies. Uh, it, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, what they were trying to do, yeah. um, you know, show this person who's not willing to acknowledge the feelings that he has mm-hmm. and is is uh, plastering over them mm-hmm. the whole season. Uh I mean, it's just an inherently less interesting thing than a crazy run up to the the you know the final fight with a, a main boss, right? Yeah, like right. Breaking Bad season four had. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's why I guess it does scare me. You know, the fact that they don't know how many seasons there are left because you know, like this late, I feel like they should. They should have the big beats that are, that, are, that they need to get into the rest of the season, and they should know how much television that is. And the fact that they don't, like, I get it. Vince Gilligan used to love writing himself in the corner, blah, but like, you know, at the end of season four, I think he knew exactly where it needed to go and how many seasons they were going to have left. Like, you know, uh, there was some flexibility there. Six versus or sixteen versus thirteen, eight and eight versus sixteen. But, like, I don't think he thought there was three seasons left. Mm-hmm. I don't think he thought he could tell that story in a half season. 
Um, so I, I just like, again, shocked, shocked at the end of season four that, uh, like the golden age of television era showrunner doesn't know how many fucking shows has got left in him. Yep. Like you can say that after season one, season two. And the other thing that scares me is because a lot of people, uh, in feedback are saying, well, yeah, we definitively saw the transformation of, of Saul or, uh, Jimmy into Saul. We all thought that at the end of season one, if you'll recall. <laughs> yeah. With the smoke on the water, going and, driving away, and the and creators his, the kind of did too, right? They yeah. talk about that as if they fucked up. Yeah, like oh, and we went, oh, to, that's too far. We had to rewind Jimmy, like yeah, and we were able to cut together pieces to where it kind of made yeah. sense, and we, yeah, we like, got like, ourselves out of that pickle. Like I could see Gould talking himself into, you know what, Rhea Se- uh, Ray, Ray Seahorn's out. Uh, we're gonna bring in a new like, and and Jimmy's gonna redouble it like a, a, a John a, a Don Draper thing. Like he's gonna re, you know, right. redouble his efforts to Jessica be a, a good person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get Jessica <laughs> Furry. Uh, and I, I the, like I I don't think that Peter Gould would do that, but. Yeah. Again, it gives me pause to know that he doesn't know how much legs are left in the story. We need a season five that is just uh, a big montage, a <laughs> one or montage, 10 episodes yep. of montage. And and as it gets to the last two episodes of the montage, it starts desaturating until it goes black and white. And the final like 90 minutes are just gene montage. There we go. There's a montage, jump. if you will. Yeah. A mon gene. Uh what else do we want to talk about before we get the feedback? Because we have quite a bit of feedback. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any like predictions? As, uh, you know, I'm talking about a time jump here. You think they're going to do a time jump for season five? Uh, no. I really don't. I feel like one of the scenes, one of the reasons... I've been thinking about that uh, Gale scene, right? And I feel like the one, the most obvious use of the Gale scene is to tell people that like this part of the story is kind of over. You know, it's going to be a long like we know that the Super Lab's not going to be a thing until Breaking Bad. And there's no more stories left to tell because we in Breaking Bad, we saw uh, Gale accept the delivery of the Super Lab equipment, say Mm -hmm. he's not good enough to cook. We need to get Walter White and then the Walter White era, like all that times accounted for. And and Gus, by saying we're not ready until we're ready now, like fills in the ledger for the stuff we don't know about. Like, nope, all that shit's accounted for, too. Does the ending balance and then this season is going to transfer over to Breaking Bad and everything's cool. So, like, why would you do why would you do a time jump, especially since to my mind, they're going to have to do a time jump into the gene era. So, like, how many fucking time jumps do they want to do? Um, you yeah. know, in the gene era, I think because we've done the analysis on calendars and Christmas decorations and malls and Bob Odenkirk's public statements, like the gene era is only a few months into the future of Breaking, uh, Bad. Of, of Breaking Bad. So like yeah. that November phone call could be like, I, I don't see any reason. And there's a lot to like start to fear if you start if you're going to do like a, a four stage time jump, you mm-hmm. know, uh yeah, I feel you. On on the other hand, we do have like four years until Breaking Bad time, right? So, but if you get if you what get you do uh, to me, that's the time jump. You get you get Saul into the place where he is just a cinch because you know Saul doesn't do anything, but he already has the connection with Mike. We know he doesn't know who Gus is. We know he doesn't become like a big time like he is a small time criminal lawyer. So, so are you saying what they should do is set up Breaking Bad's timeline without a time jump in Better Call Saul? Set up Breaking Bad's timeline. Yeah. Uh, or set all the pieces in place so yeah. that you can just say, 
And Jimmy did his thing. And Saul yeah. did his thing for yeah. four years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then use the time jump to get to Gene. Yeah. Now, I mean, like, I, I could buy that. I would also, like, I think this is daring, but, like, what if, like, like next season, what if they kind of wrapped up Better Call Saul as we knew it, which is the fall of Jimmy and wanted to do, like, Peter Gould's got, like, a notebook of 20 episode concepts, a uh, case of the week of Better right. Call Saul, mm-hmm. where it's like a tight 43 minute comedic adventure where he's just doing sleazy stuff and he's got it's, it's essentially boston legal only better call saul mm-hmm. could you could he morph this into a farcical legal procedure that would fill in i mean i guess sure i'm i might be up for that like tell wrap up the story and then do something fun with yeah it. yeah just having misadventures of women misadventures of the clients that'd be such a weird thing i feel like people would hate that i know no i'm saying yeah because it would be a complete pivot from one thing to another but yeah. um that's the only way i could see it going because yeah like there's going to be some stasis like mm-hmm. you know do you want a walter white prequel right because what the fuck was interesting about walter white until he got cancer like the whole yeah, show nothing. told us nothing. So like, what is if everyone agrees that we don't want it, just a better call Saul, random case of the week, madcap Bob Odenkirk doing shit for two or three years, then what the hell else do they have to do? Cause mm-hmm. there is this big time jump where Saul doesn't do like, it, it's like the premise traps him into it. He can't, be anything more than a guy who in a bad toupee that drives a cadillac and has double-breasted suits and chases ambulances and represents uh duis and assault and batteries and drug cases in albuquerque like Mm -hmm. walter white was his second stage booster rocket like into the like real money I i mean i i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe saul was just rolling in fucking cash the whole time but it never felt like that he was just a late night TV lawyer that Jesse knew would be a criminal lawyer. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't see there's a lot of wiggle room for time jumps or what the time jump would get us. Yeah. So we do know he has to connect with Nacho at some point. I'm still mm-hmm. not sure. I I was trying to think about it exactly how he could connect with Nacho. I mean, in he, this could, next season. he could hook him up with the cleaner is the only thing. Like I again that there's there's a couple things that I thought they set out to tell like the. Like uh, Jimmy taking over from the aquarium guy or the the fish doctor, I think that's still a possibility mm-hmm. um, because they they did they did all the legwork to make that a thing. Like the doctor saying, "Don't ever fucking call me again," uh, which you know that's not how mob entanglements work. Uh, Jimmy like lecturing the guy on how to do his job better. Like I could see that being a connection, uh, and that's also a story I think they should tell. Like how did Jimmy get to be the the go-to, the guy that's got like 30 different burner phones in his drawer. One of them, a Hello Kitty. Uh, mm-hmm. Who's the Hello? Like, there's a couple interesting stories they could tell. It's just, you know, uh, and, and and some plausible ways to, to tie up Nacho. And, and now's the time to tell him. I mean, it's all yeah. down here for Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Slash Saul. Uh, I am. What do you think about the Saul kim connection the jimmy kim connection because i I was really gotta go to shit next season i was really hype on well but like i feel like there's a lot of parallels between breaking bad and better call saul and like we got some smart feedback really tying the like verner concept to walter Mm -hmm. um as kind of like in in in, uh, a, a, a similar character do you think that you know, Kim is a Skyler analog in that, you know, Skyler went into knowing what a bad idea it was, but she still took the deal with the devil because she fundamentally loved Walt mm. um, and or did, you know, did the criminal calculus wrong. Um, I always felt like Skyler was trapped. I don't feel like Kim is trapped. 
I feel like Kim is a yeah. smart woman who should see the writing, who definitely does see the writing on the wall now. So and is capable of getting out, whereas Skyler was just too entangled with Walt at that point. So you're definitely out on the idea of Kim being the brains behind oh, yeah. the Better Call Saul oh, la- yeah. label. Okay. I think I, I was kind of excited about that idea. And like, like you know, it's one of the few things that the curveball of Kim embracing the scam life is I'm like, okay, well, this version of Kim might be the behind it. Like she yeah. would have problems like killing witnesses and stuff, but like the low... The, the the low stakes hijinks that Saul probably got up to to get people off a of deep like I, I could see her like okay whatever you know getting rolled down in the mud with him uh, I feel like the last two episodes she is frightened of him yeah not in like a safety but just like what kind of guy is this uh, mm-hmm. he's a he's a sociopath so yeah I, she she was living a fantasy living a dream in the living the, the dream the run up to the end of this season and yeah. that dream was fucking shattered at the yeah. end. And and if she goes back to that, I have a fundamentally negative opinion of Kim as a human being. <laughs> uh, so one thing I have. So if you buy my premise that like a a time jump is going to be kind of futile because of like where we're at with Saul, uh, that does leave Mike and Gus. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting? And Nacho and Lalo. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nacho and Lalo. Like like. We, the super lab's not going to be ready, so is this the story of how Gus fights a guerrilla war where neither, it's a cold war where neither one of them can admit to fighting? Because yeah. then Don Eladio gets involved and, and squashes the beef. Um, but they do have to fight because they mm-hmm. are working at odds. Like, is it going to be like a cold war saga uh, north of the border? Yeah, it totally could be. I'd, I'd be fine with that. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, we look at the position that, you know, Juan Bolsa was in that the Gus had the cartel in at the end or at the mm-hmm. beginning of Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. which needs to be the end of this show, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh so I think yeah, if we watch the run up to that and see how all those pieces move into place, I'd be probably fascinated by it. Yeah. So and I think I guess that's you know that so there is I I mean that feels like Ten episodes of plot easy. Oh, like easily. between between. That's that, what I mean. Like you could stretch that out to maybe two seasons. If and you and wanted. and and the Kim and Jimmy split. And mm-hmm. I yeah, two. Oh, man, I don't know. Twenty episodes. Sixteen episodes. How about that? Uh, yeah. Two so the final episode is eight and eight. So AMC gets a. Has double the show dip. ever done that before? <laughs> what? Yeah. Right. Uh, and yeah, it was with this studio and these creators. So <laughs> I, anything could happen. But as far yeah. as predictions, like. I don't know. Uh, do you want to? Do you have a better feeling about whether Kim will actually die, or ju- or, or like what is what's Man, her floor not. here? Is a floor personal humiliation, professional humiliation, personal and professional ruination, or up to death? I mean, the floor is betrayal of a character at their core, and she is actually working with Saul okay, in, in okay. Breaking Bad. That's the fucking floor so for me. So you're bringing a metaphysical floor, which is right. just complete betrayal and fucking up of her character. In, in gotcha. my opinion, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, but, I, man, I don't see... I, I hope she doesn't die, because I really like Kim, and I want Kim to get out of this. And she's not going to get out unscathed, but she's going to get out, hopefully, and be you know better poised to understand who she is, why she wants the things she wants and have success in her life. Yeah, and I think that's what I hope for her. And I think in the Gula Gang universe that the karma is very much a thing. And in the same way that 
they they resisted killing Skylar and Walt's children because even though Skylar was complicit, she, you know, like you said, she was very much trapped by Walt. Um, I wonder if they'll similarly have a hard time, you know, throwing Kim under the bus because, yes, she had a taste for the wild side that she indulged in, but clearly not at the level of 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 Jimmy. You know, no. she like wants to use these powers for good, whatever good that is. Where Kim, where Jimmy is just clearly indiscriminate in his use of that, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, if there is a better, longer, legal way to do it, he always takes a shortcut, and it doesn't matter what your his. It doesn't matter your standing in his eyes either. Mm-hmm. Like he'll lie. He's more even more willing to lie to a loved one than a stranger. So it's easier. Yeah, it's easier for him. He, yeah, he takes advantage of the trust that he's built. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, as a con man, if you already got the person's confidence, you're you're ahead of the game. So, and I do think I, if I were writing this, I would make it a bittersweet moment. I would make it to where Kim just has to devastate Jimmy to get mm-hmm. out of this, but she knows it's the right it's like thing. Like throwing for her. a rock at the dog, you know, to get him to go. Uh, yeah, essentially, like mm-hmm. taking old Yeller out, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and shooting it. But it's the best thing for the dog. It's the best thing for you. It's yeah, and you can see that she's got like Jimmy gave her every an- a piece of ammunition she would need. Like if she yeah. just vocalized in an affirmative way the things that he accused her of feeling about him. Like, mm-hmm. that would do it. If yeah. she just unironically said, you are a slimy sleazebag and you're a fraud and, you know, you've never had authentic love. Like, you know. Yeah. The, and it would make him even more cynical. And I, which, I am better than you. And I always have been. Like, that That would probably do, do it. it. That'd probably do it. Yeah. Uh, any other predictions or no. things you want to discuss? Hey, before we get to feedback, I want to tell you a little bit about this episode's sponsor, HelloFresh. Now, HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. It's delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging. And there's something for everyone with HelloFresh because they have unmatched selection. There's three plan categories to choose from, classic, veggie, and family. Uh, You can rediscover the excitement of cooking, enjoy not having to plan dinner, spending money on takeout for an easy night, or worry about gathering ingredients week after week. Because HelloFresh also believes cooking should be simple and convenient, not a chore. And they have lots and lots of one-pot recipes for seriously speedy cooking with minimal cleanup. There's so many benefits to subscribing, so you can keep enjoying HelloFresh week after week. Get out of that recipe rut and start cooking outside of your comfort zone by discovering new and delicious recipes in each week's box. And my, that's the reason I like HelloFresh the best is because I freaking hate thinking about coming up with new things to eat. And mm-hmm. I know I can't feed my family burritos every single day and every single night or chili. Because I'm not part of your family. That's yeah. true. If, if, if Jim could. Jones was my son <laughs> and not my business partner, I could get away at the all burrito plan. Yeah. Uh, speaking of my favorite meal, uh, I love their Swedish meatloaf, which is hmm. essentially the final form of the Ikea Swedish meatballs platter. It's got the mashed potatoes. It's got that great gravy instead of you know a swedish meatball is essentially just a small meatloaf that's fair yeah. so like you got like just like the best most juicy version of those meatballs and large size of the gravy uh they even have a little the world's littlest tiniest most adorable uh container of ligonberry sauce i don't know if it's mm, ligonberry right. but it's ligonberry adjacent yeah yeah whatever whatever that sweet 
that red that sauce sweet, that they yeah, give you. Yeah, it's like which it's I like really it's love. like good cranberry sauce. I think we as Americans should just all decide that we're not we're doing cranberry. The cranberries, yeah. The, the, the Swedes have figured this shit out. Uh-huh. Flat pack furniture and sauce. It's Liganberry. <laughs> Let's just make this happen. For a total of sixty dollars off your first order, go to HelloFresh.com slash Saul sixty and enter the promo code Saul sixty. That's right, twenty bucks off your first three boxes. Again, to get that deal, visit HelloFresh.com slash Saul60 and enter promo code Saul60. This podcast episode also sponsored by Bald Move. Uh, you can get all of the great Bald Move stuff by going to club.baldmove.com. If you just go to baldmove.com, you're only probably getting a half of Bald Move. You're getting... You're getting like the the, the scraps, yellow and magenta yeah. channel. You're not you're not getting the blue, not at all. No, it doesn't uh, it doesn't all come together. You're not getting the full picture. You, you got to go to club.baldmove.com, and the reasons for doing so are legion. Um, as you hear in our uh, you know housekeeping podcast, we just have a tremendous amount of content, more than we could do certainly if we had uh, you know paying day jobs that we had to like we we're still slinging code you're getting like maybe maybe one podcast a week mm. maybe two when we're in that annoying part of the year where game of thrones is overlapping better call Saul or something like that but we're hating life you get all this great content and the club is what is what finances 90 percent of it and it's not just like you know hey you got to do this because i feel bad about jim it's also you get a lot of cool features like if you like our content you get more of it you get new types of content you get variety shows like lunch with jim and aaron and quit quit your pitching video versions of our podcast uh, ad free feeds so you never have to listen to me sling this stuff ever ever again if you don't want to uh although we we do appreciate our sponsors <laughs> uh, yeah, including bald move including club.baldmove.com we really appreciate club.baldmove.com yes. check it out you can you can actually pre- don't take my word for it you can preview a lot of these special features at that page club.baldmove.com and you can sign up and get a free 30-day trial risk-free cancel at any time and not get charged what a deal club.baldmove.com Hey, before we get to that feedback, I want to talk about things going on here at baldmove.com. Uh, we're really excited about this new seasonal content we got coming up um, to now that we're done with the Empire business. Uh, it's called the Super Serious Film Fest, and we're going to have a series of these. But the first one is subtitled Season of the Cage. And the concept is Nick Cage is an Academy Award nominated uh, actor, and he's also stars in Ghost Rider. <laughs> So he's got this hot and cold kind of summer and winter phase of his career as he goes through various misfortunes in his real life. Uh, And we're covering it all. We got three of his best movies. We got three of his worst movies. Uh, One of our goals was to kind of get like the same kind of, I guess, almost like a spiritual sequel to our commission podcast. So we still get that like joy of talking about movies and projects that we're, we're passionate about. But Jim's also working on doing some cool stuff on YouTube. We've actually commissioned voice actors. We've commissioned music. Uh, We're doing uh, hopefully something really cool and really big. Some of it's going to be for club members only, but a lot of it's going to be public-facing content too. Um, And one of the other features is we're going to bring our ace director and showrunner, Guy Ferrari, on each of these projects to talk about things that he would fix, things that he'd improve. Perhaps if the movie is truly great, maybe a sequel. Uh, or a prequel opportunity uh, season of the cage, super serious film fest coming up also right now uh, that starts next week, right? 
Yeah. Uh, also, uh, right now, we just kicked off our coverage of Matthew Weiner's The Romanovs, a new Amazon series. We're going to be covering that comes out each Friday night, and we'll be on Monday discussing it. We're doing HBO and David Simon's Deduce. Uh, we're do uh, we're doing American Horror Story. At least me and Cecily are doing American Horror Story season eight. Uh, Jim and I checked out the Bad Times at El Royale last week on the Bald Movies feed. Also there, uh, one of our final commission podcasts, Oliver Stone's JFK. Uh, that's all on baldmove.com. Check it out. Okay, final time we open up our feed bag. Uh, we got a lot of uh, good takes here. First up, Reginald. Have you ever been at the grocery store where another person or customer is talking loudly on their cell phone, Jim? Have you? Mm-hmm. All right, so you can relate. Have you ever been at the theater and other patrons sitting next to you start engaging in conversation? These people may not be trying to be rude, but they are focused on their own interests to the detriment of those around them. Contrast this with a standard, uh, talented comic stand-up. Uh, they have an outline in their mind as to what she wants to say and how she will deliver her material, but she's flexible. She constantly takes the temperature of the room. She gets her clues from her audience and therefore knows when to back off or when to extend a certain bit. In winter... Kim, Mike, and Werner wind up being the saddest people in this episode because they don't know their audience. Uh, he gives an example of Kim uh, keeps believing that somewhere deep down, Jimmy shares her moral views and sense of integrity. She doesn't know her audience, Jimmy. So just like at the end of the first episode of the season, at the end of the episode, she looks dumbfounded when confronted with Jimmy's callousness. Jimmy reads the audience masterfully when talking to the board, but it's obvious to us viewers he doesn't understand his audience of one, Kim. However, by the end of winter, Jimmy is full of unbound bliss because the only audience he truly cares about is the one occupied solely by himself. Um, the f- I like this take. The final sentence I have a little bit of quibble with, but it's like it's hard to parse because does Jimmy like does so does Jimmy really only care about himself, or is he just? Or, or or does he actually care about Kim, but he doesn't know where the lines are? And does it actually matter? Like, in practical purposes, does it actually matter if someone accidentally offends someone or intentionally offends someone? Um, at a certain point, if you've been with someone a long enough time, accidental offense is even... Yeah, it becomes intentional. Yeah, it's be, like because, because you're not considering how this might affect them. Because not taking an interest in them and their deep inward thoughts and and values and morals is in its its itself kind of offensive. Yeah, I think once you know, if you're with a person and you know them well and you understand what might make them angry and what might offend them, and you go ahead and do those things anyway, yeah, then you're certainly putting your own needs and desires above theirs and i mean maybe that's you know whether that's okay or not i don't know i'm not to judge that but like i certainly think that jimmy is more concerned with what he wants than Mm -hmm. anyone else Mm -hmm. and that's the that's the thing that i think kim realized in this final episode and you, and you can you contextualize because you know people will be like well look how sad jammy jimmy jammy look how sad jimmy is when he hurts kim's feelings or he disappoints her or whatever and i and i would ask like this is the classic are you sad because you regret what you did or are you sad because you got caught like is he mm. sad because he's disappointed kim or is he sad because his disappointment is now going to keep him from getting the thing he wants which is a trophy legal wife girlfriend yeah like someone who and just he traded un- that so uh, some someone who just uncritically and unconditionally loves him the way i guess his mother did and that he never got once his once his mother and father died died it's just the purely conditional love of chuck like mm-hmm. 
you know, and again, that's a that's an understandable through line for a character, but it doesn't really redeem them. You know, like yeah. if you come by your pathos, honestly, it still doesn't excuse you of being completely helpless and weak to your pathos. Yeah. I'm, I'm still going to look at your actions and judge you. Yeah. And also not <laughs> how to, it goes. That's also not to say that, like, you can't tell your loved ones unpleasant truths or mm-hmm. like be tough with them it's just like they always said in and uh like when i was taking group sessions like you should try to tell the truth with love so like you know when you get, go to tell someone that they've hurt your feelings it's not like you fucking asshole you did you gotta you gotta come back and be like okay i love this person they love me how do i tell this in a way that's going to maximize their receptiveness to it which is different mm-hmm. from manipulation it's hard people skills yeah relationships <laughs> they're, all, they're all very tricky uh, anything else you want to talk for a move on? Nope. Talk about uh, Jorge M. I like to disagree on one point regarding Werner. I don't think the end of Werner made him out to be a bumbling goof, at least not out of the blue. I'd say his bumbling actions could be explained way before his decision to run away to the spa to meet with his wife for the weekend. First, I'd argue that his skill and engineering ability does not mean much about his awareness or quote-unquote street smarts in the show. In fact, all the people deemed smart in this show always end up doing some dumb shit from time to time. However, I don't believe it was Werner's lack of intellect that made him naive to Gus's wrath, but his pomposity. I think Werner felt irreplaceable, much like Walter White. Walt was a near genius in Breaking Bad, and he also took many stupid gambles that mostly paid off, pretty much like Werner in a certain sense. To me, his surrender at the end was him realizing he had taken one too many rolls of the dice and his consequences hit him hard. To me, it was the look of a man who knew he was guilty and was smart enough to know that it was the end. He didn't beg for his life like Gale, uh, because Gale didn't really do anything wrong. Uh, so he had a, a, a sort of case to be made. But Werner, um, what do you think about the idea that you're supposed to understand Werner as a Walter White type who would, felt entitled to take certain liberties because they were smart and they would get away with it because they always have, I think is his core thesis here, man. That's, that's a tough one for me to buy. I I really bought into the idea that he thought Mike had his back more than Mike did. What about the irreplaceability? Cause I do think yeah, that I... eight months into a project, and how difficult and technical it obviously is that he did feel like maybe he could throw his weight around. Maybe, but that's, I, I guess that's not what I saw on screen. And that's the problem. It's something right? you could read into it. It's something, it's, but... it's something you could definitely say to make things make sense, but you have to ask yourself, is it the story they tried to tell? Because yeah. the story I thought they tried to tell is he thought Mike was his friend. Right. And but, he could get away with it because of that. And that, like, the unfortunate conclusion a lot of people are taking from that is, well, Werner was really naive and silly and stupid because he didn't, you know... Uh, in, in one arena, I think it's fair to point out, yeah, that, that you know, being foolish in, like, who you trust and stuff like that does not make you an all-around idiot. No, that's like, true. Like, he's obviously very good at the engineering aspect of his job. And no one's core competency in- includes every human endeavor. Sure. You know? Yeah. Those type of people are Mary Sue's and they're not much, they're not much fun. Like, uh-huh. you know, this engineering guy not having the social skills to co- correctly... I mean, I do, th- but I do think there's even problems with that because, you know, the idea that this guy's a criminal architect, right? He wouldn't have been hired if he they, they didn't just go to like an architectural firm and take bids for the fucking super lab. Yeah. So like that's the thing. 
if he was a like an old friend of Mike that like I, I'm thinking of ways they could engineer this like he's an old architectural friend of Mike they went to school together I don't know why Mike went to architectural school but he's got gambling debts so he's kind of desperate to take this like there's ways Killed you, someone he's on the run yeah, there's ways you could engineer sure. a situation where a neophyte <laughs> to crime would be kind of like shocked and horrified to find himself I just don't feel like they did the good job telling the story I will say that this is the longest job he's ever done. Yeah. And they make a point of that, right? right. Like, this is an extreme case. It's of... a Sydney Opera House. It, yeah, yeah. But but it's also, like, it, my point here is this is the longest he's ever been away from his wife. And so maybe it wasn't a problem before because he was doing two-month jobs, uh, one-month jobs. This is a 10-month job, and it's only halfway done, and now he's feeling it. Man, I wish we could have met Marguerite because... That is a that is a woman. It's a hell of a woman. That's yeah. a hell of a woman Gotta to be. risk the wrath of Gus, Gus and Mike uh-huh. uh, to go spend a, a weekend with her in Crocs by a poolside. Um, Mark wants to continue to talk about Werner and his motivations for escape. You mentioned that in raising the stakes would have only made the situation more powerful and the anguish greater for Mike. Uh, he's talking about our take about maybe Werner had a sick daughter going back to Germany to, you know, something besides just, hey, I want to go see my wife. I've missed her. Yeah. Uh, I disagree with this point, as I think Vince and Peter intentionally needed to make Werner's motivations more selfish. If Mike killed a guy trying to see a sick child, he would have gone too far from the guy we know to be in Breaking Bad. Mike's reasonable, but Werner was unreasonable in this situation. The situation taught Mike that as long as you do your job and follow the rules, everything will be fine. Also, this would be a takeaway from box cutter shock Mike felt. He sees Gus as rational up until that point. Killing Werner for a more altruistic escape justification would tarnish that view. Love to get your thoughts on this. It's not a bad take. I think it's... it. I mean, it's a reason to do it. It's not... It, it, it doesn't make the execution good uh, up to that point. Because I do agree if they went with my writer room suggestion... Um, that I threw out that, that that you do you're making Mike a much more callous and uh like shitty individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so that probably too should have been rejected, but kept noodling on the idea because. But you know that's the other thing is like a lot of this stuff I feel, you know there's there's turnover in a showrunner's office in the writing room and a lot of times things you think will work on paper just don't. Like that's one of the big like these it's it's kind of amazing that we've had such a really good run of of Golden Age television because it's so easy to get something that looks like it should work on a script and it just doesn't work for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't come out in editing. You didn't quite get the shots. You know, like how how the you know, how the hell do you account for that? Um, and maybe that's some of it here. Movie but. actors. Movie actors, <laughs> yeah, they've just got better all around actors. That's true in television. That's now. true. There's a lot. There's a lot. You to can do a lot with age. a really good actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, Giovanna. Everyone seems to refer to the moment that Saul becomes Jimmy, or rather, Jimmy becomes Saul, like it's a point of no return, event horizon. But that's always seemed a little too simplistic to me. So much of this, uh, his Saul Goodman exclamation in the closing scene, seemed a little hand fisted. Ham-fisted, rather. Not hand-fisted. Hand-fisted's more... It's it's the Solo 2 sequel, <laughs> where they explain why... No, I can't. I, I have no idea. It's Han-fisted. Uh, what? Ooh, wait. Filter that through the lens of the deuce, and you get a late 70s uh, true. S- Star Wars porn parody. 
Mm-hmm. Han fisted. Uh, anyway, ham fisted. Saul Goodman. Back to you, Giovanna. Uh, what if part of Jimmy has always been Saul and part of Saul will always be Jimmy? In Breaking Bad, we only ever seen him at work uh, doing business as Paul Saul Goodman, but that doesn't mean he's 100% Saul all the time. I think the question can only be really answered by seeing more of what happens to Jimmy, Saul, Gene post-Breaking Bad. Gene seems much more like Jimmy than Saul. What do you guys think? Um, so... Do we think that people are binary individuals who are good and evil that it, that eventually become irredeemably evil or are incorruptibly good? I think is maybe the like if I'm getting like at the at the heart of the question. Sure, and the uh, answer is oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. We certainly believe that. No, no, of course not. It, uh, it, I don't know because they they do a light switch moment at the beginning of this season, right? They like I don't feel at any moment that Jimmy ever questioned his feelings about Chuck really. Yeah. Like th- there was that moment where he breaks down in his car, but that was more about who Jimmy is, mm-hmm. not about how he felt about his brother, honestly. Right. And, and so like to say, well, this couldn't be a light switch moment at the end where Jimmy becomes Saul. Uh, why not? Why not? They've done it. They've done it in this season before. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I do. I believe that people are like are you know like you have, have these moral event horizons where they're just like they can't like no. I I don't think that, but I think characters and TV sh- shows that believe in like karmic justice absolutely can do that. Certainly. And I feel like that's kind of like uh, one of you know Vince's thesis that like once you do so much and. Uh, it's it's weird, though, because like everything else, there's a little bit of uh, talking out of both sides of the mouth, because one of the things they established in Breaking Bad, that therapist that had ran over his child, is like the key to pulling yourself out of a wallowing of evil is to forgive yourself, like even the most terrible thing you've done, because if you don't, you lock yourself in that hellscape of doing progressively worse and worse things and... There's no escape from it. But if you can find the strength to forgive yourself and say, I'm going to commit to doing better, you can actually start, you know. Mm. Um, So. But but this is a story about a man who's terminally sliding into this moral craftitude, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe he'll slide out of it and Gene or maybe he'll get his just desserts. We we don't know. I, I do think that it's a little. I, th- I do think it's it, the people that are betting on a happy ending, like, re, uh, you know, Kim getting out of a taxi cab and hugging Gene at the end of the series. I I think that's foolish. And number one, if it happened, I don't know how I'd feel about it, because, you know, this is a show that's, that takes like karmic debt seriously. And Gene slash Saul slash Jimmy has a huge karmic debt. Mm-hmm. So and not even for like altruistic reasons like i've got cancer i'm trying to provide my family he just wanted to get rich and famous as quickly and rapidly and as shortcuttingly as possible so whatever walt's got coming to him he's probably got that you know with interest right yeah so walt arguably did a lot worse things um Mm -hmm. you know uh and i guess that's the other question like it's easy for Saul to suggest like murdering Badger, but how much of that did he do because he knew knew Walt wouldn't do it? Like if Walt's like, oh yeah, let's murder this guy, would Jimmy been like, whoa, whoa, what? You know, was he like playing the hard ass lawyer because that's the part he thought he was playing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I fuck, I don't know. There's uh-huh. four seasons in. It's like you, 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 it, it's there's a lot of lot of uh, a lot a lot of things they could do with the character. Mm-hmm. Um. Jeff P. 
Left unresolved by season's end was the fate of Gene. Other than being an expression of Jimmy's regret or paranoia, this plotline has stretched very many seasons without any clear narrative function. Yet we all know that something's going to come of it. I'm of the opinion that Kim will show up in Omaha in the final season to provide a means of Gene to transform back into Jimmy. Uh, much like Luke proving to his father that Darth still had the good in him, Kim will be the means by which Saul Goodman is unmade. Uh, you had me a, a Star Wars analogy, mm-hmm. frankly, Jeff. When the two shows are viewed together, I believe the character of Jimmy will be shown to be the man's baseline personality. Ironically, for a show, Better Call Saul, Saul Goodman will prove to be a mere four to five year criminal interlude in the life of a fascinating man. Uh, left unresolved and a happy ending is how Saul would get away with his crime since he's still presumably a fugitive. Question, do we really know anyone is still looking for him? What if he spent his time in Omaha just to find out the FBI essentially closed the case with the death of Walter White? Just as Chuck said he never really cared about Jimmy, wouldn't it be interesting if law enforcement similarly didn't, similarly didn't consider Paul a bit... Saul! I don't know why I'm trying to take Saul down the road to Damascus, but it's happened twice. I apologize. Uh, why didn't law enforcement similarly uh, consider Saul a big enough uh, fish to fry if the only person who bothered to look wasn't the cops, but is rather his lifelong companion? A um, lot hmm. of ground covered there. I mean, this is kind of like touching on the happy ending that I was just, you know, throwing shade on. Well, what do you think, Jim? Well, let me go. Uh, let me go back because I, I was talking about this light switch moment, but I never got to the other side of that coin, um, which is that somewhere somehow Jimmy has to be a part of Saul, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I do, I do agree that his baseline is Jimmy mm-hmm. and whether, you know, he keeps that up, that Saul fence up 24 seven or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just not sure yet. Um, so while I do think they could do light switch moments, I know that there's some Jimmy that still has to be left in him to deal with the Kim situation. And, and that's going to have to be a huge part of the next season. I mean, Kim has mm-hmm. got to have a reaction or, or got to have some kind of follow on to the reaction that she showed to Jimmy's deceit. Mm. Um, so Jimmy's got to react to that. Saul can't react to Kim because Saul's not a human being. So there still has to be some Jimmy left. Maybe this is the bittersweet ending that we really want. Like Kim convinces Jimmy that the thing that she needs, he needs to do to stop living this way. Like, is take responsibility for your actions. Like, go turn yourself in, face the music, do whatever that music might be, but, like, is is life in prison? And I don't even know he'd get life in prison, to be completely honest, um, with adequate legal representation. If, if, if But even if, like, life... In, is life in prison worse than what you're living right now? Mm-hmm. Like... He doesn't seem like he's having fun in Gene. He's involuntarily confined a good amount of the time, it seems like, whether it's in the trash room or in a hospital. Like, <laughs> when he does get off and he's allowed to be a, a, a free individual, he's still trapped by his past because all he can do is go home and make, you know, his favorite cocktail and kick back and watch his former glory. So, like, I think, hey, maybe take a shot at paying your debt to society and then getting out and have your karmic debt paid off and then start mm-hmm. over like maybe yeah. like 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 what if you're actually matlock you get out of prison after 15 years your hair's gray you put on the white suit and you then crusade for you know the criminal justice system or you crusade for old people whatever like mm-hmm. i mean shit i th- th- that that might be a way that that she could provide a form of salvation but 
Otherwise, like I don't, yeah, he could he could absolutely transform back into Slipping Jimmy by being in prison and maybe prison that he should have been in for all the shit he did that Chuck helped him get him off. I mean, mm-hmm. so, but I think that's like the happiest kind of ending that you could hope for. It's definitely different than Walt. Also, uh, I will remind you, I still have those eight internet points that mm-hmm. I that I got. So like, you, you want to bet against my prediction? Fine, but you're going against a guy with eight internet points. It's fair. Uh, okay, Kaylee V says, okay, season four wasn't as good, and I think it's because the Villigan wasn't in the room, because the best episode was nine, the episode in which he directed. But I like this season. I thought it was great in directing the way for Jimmy to become Saul. However, it was a bit of a drab. Would you still think that it would have been better if they put never put Lalo in the show at all? I thought those parts should have gone to nacho we had more of a relationship with nacho now and both he and lalo were one-liners in breaking bad i didn't and don't care about uh lalo at all i wanted to see more nacho and ended up wondering what had actually happened and why lalo was there in the first place except for the writers thought it would be clever that's my grievance um not gail so (laughs) it would definitely be more economical to have Nacho be Lalo. But I don't know how you would square that because the story they told of Nacho was him trying to take down and eventually get out of the Salamanca organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, Being Lalo would be like, why would he, you know, if his primary motivation, and I think they chose smartly, which is to get him and his dad to hell out of this of this criminal enterprise he's found himself in how would going to war with Gus uh help that so like unless he can just totally defeat Gus and be out like yeah like defeat everyone eliminate and just, the entire like like be at the operation so, so in the US you you get to the top of the drug the drug game in Albuquerque and then ghost right yeah you become Gus and then shut it all down. Yeah, so you just and you just you just you just disappear. You pull a Kaiser Soze and you mm. start. You develop a limp and you 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 go away. I, I I don't I don't know. I like I said for economy of characters, you're right on. You are absolutely right on here, Kaylee. But from a like, how do you get Nacho into that spot? You need him to be in, and then it's like, oh well, maybe maybe they fucked up by putting him on this trajectory and but. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about going back years fixing problems now. Yeah, I wouldn't want him to try to do that. And and I think you're right. Like, they they do look at the one line that they had in Breaking Bad about Lalo and Nacho, and they go, we want to fill that in. Right. That's what they do on this show a lot of the time, right? And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, if it didn't work for you, then... Uh, it didn't work for you. It's but. not a justification to make this like you can't like like for example, everyone wants to know the hello about the Hello Kitty phone, right? Mm-hmm. There are universes in where you get that answer and it's very unsatisfying and like, well, this felt like out of nowhere and it didn't. And there's also universes where that's fucking clever and you're like, wow, I can't believe they they pulled that. And I'm kind of more towards the for the the latter with Lalo. Like, yes, it's a one liner, but it's a one. It's it's. It's an important one-liner. It's the one-liner that came at the beginning of Walt and uh, and Saul's relationship, uh, and it and it also is indicative of a fear that was in Saul's mind. So, like answering that in a fun, smart way would be very satisfying. And I felt like up until he did his ninja bullshit out of the roof, Lalo was a smart and interesting character. Uh, 
you know, a, a couple more missteps like the roof. And I feel like he'll be kind of like a silly, the cousin type character. And I hope they don't do that because I think the cousins are already borderline silly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's funny thing to say about, uh, a terrifying death squad men, but they are just on the verge of being cartoon characters already. Yeah. In fact, I actually think that better call Saul's kind of redeemed them in my eyes. Because when they just showed up, like, with the shark skins crawling towards the death thing, it's like, all this shit was so over the top. It was. But now it's like, I feel like their legend was started appropriately, like, you know, like, small and kind of built. Hmm. Um, and now it's like, when you see them do this stuff, it's like, you'd be like, oh, this this feels a little bit more earned, you know? Like, they're fanaticism for the Salamancas, their single mind, like all that stuff feels a little bit more earned just because we're been more comfortable around them. And mm-hmm. we've seen them do other crazy shit. Uh, Barry C from the UK. Uh, if next season is the final season, if what do you think has to happen for this to be a satisfying prequel? I mean, in terms of what we wanted as breaking bad fans, when the show was announced, uh, I don't man. I don't, Ooh, from the announcement, because uh, I was going to say Kim and Jimmy have to come to some... There has to be some closure there. Yeah, they have to figure out what to do but, with Kim. But I wouldn't have said that at the announcement of Better Call Saul because I didn't know fucking Kim was a character, right? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so from the announcement, just what I wanted them to do with Jimmy? Or, yeah. Or with Saul? Because Jimmy wasn't even a character. Yeah, because then this is like, also... That's too early on to, to really say anything about my feelings. Maybe we so the answer your question, I don't think they can do the show that we thought they were going to do because everyone they thought didn't. it was going to be like this spin-off kind of comedy, black comedy series. They and did something way better. It became much more than that. Yeah. yeah. It became less of a novelty and more of an actual yes, this is an you know, those are all good things. This is a good show. It's a great show. We love the show. <laughs> Jesus. Just, you know, not not as much this season. Uh so let's 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 take the announcement off of it and say to be an effective okay. prequel to Breaking Bad, what do they need to do? Number one, they need to get rid of Kim or explain her absence in a way that's satisfying and furthers yeah. Jimmy's arc into the Saul era. I, I think they really need to position Gus on the brink of overthrowing the cartel, but not quite. But they need to make it crystal clear how that's going to happen because we don't see any of the how. We only see the conclusion in Breaking Bad, right? We only know that Gus arranged something to get Juan Bolsa out of the picture. All right. Let me let me take my eight internet points and, oh, and, and put it on a different bet. <laughs> yeah, how many are you risking here? Because you lose <laughs> them if you're wrong. Uh, uh, this, is, this is a five. Five internet point. Holy run. I'm shit. taking three back. Cause, but, uh, All right. Uh, <laughs> I'd say the odds are like three to one. So you're going to get 15 if... Well, you don't even know what the the bet is. Watch what so one way that I think the Gooligans could play against our expectations is the last season Jimmy successfully sucks Kim back in. And as a and, and as a way to like, you know, in the way we see so many times they they decide to rush into marriage as a way to fix all their many flaws. And the show ends on a note of triumph of them just getting married and just unironically happy. And then that's the last episode of Better Call Saul. 
and you never see Kim again. You never see Kim. So the, the so then they leave us with an instead of trying to give us satisfying answers, they give us with like a perplexing mystery of. But it's not really because you saw all like like I think Vince and Gould could say Vince and Peter could say like you know what y'all saw Better Call Saul so you know exactly exactly how their relationship ends. Why should we have to tell you? Is that at, too avant-garde? Boy. Is it too weird? Is I, I'll it... say I, I will give you those 15 internet points if that happens. <laughs> Just three to one? Yeah. Like, okay. I, I mean, I could I could raise it, but you know, we'll stick with 15. Uh, so you're you're not feeling that one? <laughs> no, man. I mean, it's it's. I want closure there. I really I really do want some kind of closure. You do get closure. They got and married. I, but it's not. But you're saying it's the exact opposite. You know, like you've seen Better Call Saul, you know how this goes. Well, everything I've seen in Better Call Saul tells me that Jimmy and Kim blow up a month after they're married. What if I tell you that three years after the events of Princess Bride, Wesley and Buttercup have a bitter divorce? Okay. Does that does that does that negate your closure you got at the end of Princess Bride? Uh. (laughs) <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I don't, I don't even know where this you know is going. Uh, withdrawn question. Withdrawn. I was like, <laughs> I just thought it's a funny point to make because it is weird, weird. Like thing. Like why do we call something closure when like that's such a weird ephemeral concept? Like we get closure a lot of times and we don't like that the story keeps going on. Sure, like yeah. you know, like I think it, it'd kind of almost be funny to like, yeah, here's your closure. They patch things up and 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 like an obvious slapdash uh, manner to save the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they're bitterly divorced. Maybe they're separated. Maybe they got an open relationship. But you're just never going to know. Hmm. But you got your fucking closure. I don't know. Yeah, I probably lost in five points. I think so. Probably lost in five points. Um, so, oh, I forgot that Barry actually had his own fucking ideas. Oh, okay. Sorry, Barry. You've been you've been waiting there, like clearing your throat and shifting on your feet, and I've been ignoring you the whole time. All right, he says he's getting the ball going on predictions. Saul has to meet Lalo based on the fact we know he knows him. Well, now yeah. especially, like, like that. I definitely think that's something we talked about in the pre-series podcast, like the whole you know Ignacio and Lalo thing. Um, we have to see him shoot a better call Saul commercial. He says the Better Call Saul commercial, but a Better Call Saul. Yeah, okay. Um, that, that'd be a fun thing, yeah, that would lead nicely into Breaking Bad. Be a fun montage. Like, it'd be a fun montage of him, like, like arguing for, like, a drunk in court and then him doing the drunk driving, like, video. Like, you could see, like, his kind of, like, a montage of his case building from one shitty legal practice to another. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be a Walter White cameo. I don't know about cameo. I... I almost wonder if, like, man, a Walter White cameo. Walt, Walt doesn't meet Saul until well into Breaking Bad. I'd, but he could he could bump I into them know. and neither of them be aware of each other, which I think would be kind of fun. Like, let's say, here here too here's cute. a here's too here, cute. For what me. about this? Yeah, Saul gets his first Cadillac, mm-hmm. and he uh, sideswipes an Aztec. No, 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 no. He just wants to spiff it up. He he okay. just got it and made, you know, like he's he's proud of it. So he takes it to A1 car wash and says, I want the works. Mm-hmm. And guess who is wiping down his wheels at the end? It's just they don't make a big deal out of it. It's just it's just <laughs> Brian Cranston wiping his wheels down. And you see, man, 
Man, I'm I'm wary of the cameos for cameos' sake. Yeah, but because of season one, frankly. Yeah, with Tuco, I but thought see, Tuco, Tuco was went, like. Be... What if Tuco was just added? Like he was just kind of chilling in the back. Like, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's my idea. I'm not waging any internet points, but like I could like I think you either have. I, I don't think it can be a meaningful sequence because like. Mm-hmm. Then it's like if they had like a five minute like meaningful interaction, yeah. then that would be weird the next time we see him. Like, you know, like, for example, Walter huh. White only met uh, Q, John Delancey, that one time in a bar. Yeah. But there's no fucking way he would forget that conversation like even three, four years later, mm-hmm. you know, in the context of how it happened, you know. So I, 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 I yeah, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one, Barry. Maybe we'll see. Uh, there needs to be some lawyering with Gomi or Hank lawyering with Gomi or Hank? You yeah. Mean like- I don't think so, because, uh, but I will say Agent Merker should probably be introduced. Uh, I mean, I yeah, the first time you suggested him, I think early this season? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was a great idea. Like, I would love Bring to see him, him like him and Saul on a fishing trip. Mm-hmm. Or him and Gus. And Gus is just, just kind of like working him. I, I mean, it seems only natural we yeah. know that there's a connection there already yeah so you could go there if if the situation called for it yeah uh we need to see mike's guys who ended up in jail hmm mike's Do guys I? yeah like you know because we know there's a bunch of guys are doing time in prison um i mean this happens during breaking bad but they get put in prison right right um do we need to meet them as individuals? I feel like we already have. Like you could tell like if some I was I kept on thinking that when we met these guys in the trailer that was doing the observance of the German, like I kept on thinking that I'd go to R slash Better Call Saul and there would be a bunch of people like, Oh, recognize this guy? And it's the same dude, like that gets burnt to death and it but you know I guess I bottom know. line is I just don't care about any of these cameos. Nah. Like, you don't need to connect those dots. Especially there are those other guys. bigger dots to connect. Uh, we need to see why Mike hates Lydia so much. I kind okay. of agree with yeah. that. Like, That's why one. does she deserve death as much as any man he's ever met? That would be... Yeah. I, I don't think it's just because she gave him a hard time about the badges. No. Uh, and But I could do without Skinny Pete sharing a cell with Tuco. I'd see that... I, I wouldn't mind the cold open... Of like skinny okay. Pete, like kind of borderline getting in, like being terrified slash getting on the nerves of Raymond Cruz. It's got a, I think a cameo like that has to have some kind of consequence to the story, though, right? Like he needs to come out with a new perspective on something oh. because of the way Skinny Pete was talking with him. What if the funny thing is, is like, like in prison, he's gotten off the sauce, he's gotten off the drugs, and he's like, Tuco is kind <laughs> of like a centered, calm dude. Uh-huh. And he's like at the end, like skinny pizza. Hey, brother, you know if you ever need anything on the outside, you come see me. Uh huh. And then next time, you know, then of course he falls back off the wagon, gets into meth, and like I wonder if that would be kind of funny. I mean that that bleeds so perfectly back into like him in the council group, the counseling group. Yeah, selling all the addicts. <laughs> yeah, meth. yeah, yeah. It's like. Yeah, that that would be pretty funny. I, I, could, I don't know if I I'd buy that. that Tuco would ever get off the meth, even in prison. But <laughs> right, because you know he'd have people. But I don't know. Maybe he's like, hey, I want to try to be a better person. Uh, yeah, Who knows? Well, actually, is he on meth right now? I don't. I don't know that he was on meth. And they didn't say he was. He was. He was just, just kind a loose of, cannon. He's a loose cannon, hothead. So like that's what I'm. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, hmm. I don't know if he was actually on drugs. I can't remember. Maybe Tuco, maybe Skinny Pete's hookup for drugs in prison, and he's like happy all the time because he's super medicated and doesn't have any real stress because 
Mm-hmm. He's not. Although I don't know, I I, I I could see there be cute, funny things you could do with Tuco and Skinny Pete. Yeah, sharing a prison cell, which is canonical. We know that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephanie from Norfolk, Virginia. There's Norfolk and Way. Norfolk. She said, "Aaron's reading his email." Well, you were wrong, Stephanie. Uh, just just finished watching the final episode after vacationing in a dead zone for a week, and holy shit, did I get emotional? Of course, you have no heart. Or a shrunken thing that pumps sludge not to feel that speech Jimmy gave. Uh, then to be crushed just like Jimmy was to hear it was improvised lie. Jeez. I now despise it's Saul's like inf- infantile version or his nature in Breaking Bad. What? You said crushed like Jimmy was. Ah, I think Jesus Kim. Christ. Jim, I'm now confusing them in, in text. Yes. Yeah. Crushed like Kim. Crushed like Kim. Then there's my own surprise reaction concerning Werner's, de- Werner's death. Rather. Holy shit, fellas. Walking towards the stars was ultimately reminiscent of Mike sitting in the reeds. Beyond that, the look on shadowy Mike's face was devastating to me. Cliché as hell, but some part of his character died for me. It was a strange bit of television magic that the Villa gang can only pull. Reverse stripping of essential moral foundations. Hopefully this will find its way to you for the season wrap-up, and it did. Um, I mean, like I said, I think Werner's last moment was a beautiful cinematic sequence on par of Mike sitting in the reeds. Mm-hmm. It can't be hold the candle to Mike and the Reeds because we had three seasons of affection for Mike and Walter and the fact that they used to respect each other and blew up entirely because of Walt's own greed and fucking being an asshole. So, yeah. And uh, the one thing he's good at failing him, which is thinking his way out of a situation. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's like, oh, fuck, I could have got the name for Lydia. Yeah, at the end, he didn't even have to do yeah. it. Like, he just got, like, it was a dominance game rather than, like, an outthinking thing. So, yeah. So so much baggage there that made it so juicy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gary, I still remember, like, Walt trying to apologize to him as he's dying. He's just like, fuck, just yeah. let me die in peace. Uh-huh. Gary G., in Breaking Bad, we accepted Mike's unique set of skills since we didn't know much of his backstory. He could have been an ex-CI agent, for all we know. However, in Better Call Saul, we Better Call Saul, we learned that he's just a cop. So where did his vast array of skills come from? These don't seem like the skills he'd have to use often as a clean cop. Really? I, I don't know. But how long ago was he a clean cop? I can't remember. Was it? I mean, his son was old enough to fight. Like, I is in the last like five years. Let's say easy, probably in the last two or three. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You think you think a a reasonable human being with an idea of how to uh, stay off the radar could could maybe learn how to plant some bugs and well. Is do we break and enter and is or is there a possibility? I, I, and I I don't know. Like, is there a possibility that Mike maybe was like mil, did military service? Like he was in Vietnam. Like he could be a little bit more than just a cop. Yeah, I mean, why like not? even even if they, they hadn't said that he's been in the, ar- the arms for like I I I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them like ruling this out somehow. I'm just not remembering. But that's an explanation plus. Who would have thought, like, do you think your average chemistry teacher can do the things Walter White does? Like, I mean, true, come, Walter come. White is a Nobel Prize winning research chemist yeah. that is not immediately apparent. But I, I I, don't think people bat an eye when 
he fucking blows up a drug lab with salt fulminated mercury. So like Mike is a very smart, exceptionally cautious and careful person who knows how cops think and how they investigate things. And yeah. that's kind of a superpower in the criminal underworld. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is that he just understands the mind of a investigator. Yeah, and he knows like the things that when and the they mind s- of a criminal too. Yeah, yeah, and he and he he can see like these are the things that are going to set their mind to ease. These are the red flags are going to like, and that's mostly and because the other stuff is just him essentially going to Radio Shack and buying small bugs and 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 whatnot you know and using his he's also a master of parking lots yeah and I, so. wait maybe did they say that he was in like i feel like that there was a piece of dialogue when he got that big ass sniper rifle i, I think where, so yeah yeah i think there's there's you're supposed to understand there's more to mike than just he was a cop in philly yeah like that's that yeah so i i, I don't have a problem with it just the same way i didn't have a problem with walt being kind of superheroic too uh Mike from New Jersey. I'm shocked that opening flashback in episode 10 left you cold. To me, this is an emotional punch to really put Jim and Ken, uh, Jesus Christ, Chuck and Jimmy's relationship into perspective. While the tighter title winner takes it all embraces the levity of the moment. It's a cynical breakup song that is a wink to the audience. It retrospectively foreshadows the impending tragedy that is the relationship between these two brothers. At this juncture of the story, both men are riding high Jimmy uh, doesn't know how much his resentment Chuck has for him, and Chuck's paranoia about his fuck-up of a brother's unlikely success hasn't yet manifested. Also, the fact that Kim picks out the song so appropriate because she becomes a witness to this war of the siblings and her reaction always felt like how the audience should be feeling watching it in real time. If you put the romantic uh, elements aside and dissect the lyrics a bit, it really captures the entire Chuck plus Jimmy dynamic. I played all my cards. The judges will decide... I was a fool playing by the rules. The loser has to fall somewhere way down. They lose someone dear, etc. It did become a game between these two brothers. Every game has a winner and a loser, but with their game, they both end up losing in the long run. In my opinion, Chuck wasn't really honest when he told Jimmy he never mattered to him. It was like the song states Chuck simply playing his last card. He knew it would finally push Jimmy away for good. Yet unbeknownst to Chuck, he also pushed himself further into darkness. Curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, I have some thoughts. What, what well, I think this is more addressed to you. I I didn't have all the same problems you did. Okay, with that opening bit. Uh, so I I see what you're saying. Um, but I don't feel like I articulated maybe my argument well enough last year or last year last <laughs> week. Um, because let's see, let's say we're watching a show about a father and son. And we've had four seasons illuminating that the reason that they fell apart was because the father, like in a series of flashbacks, is revealed that he never spent time with the son, their son, like when it really mattered. Like this father always let the son down and was never around uh, because he was focused on his career or whatever. Um, but here in like season four, at the end of season four, in this this fictional show that I'm talking about, we have a one moment. Like, like, like the son's graduating college. Right. Um, and and the father's there and they're having this one kind of like shared moment of triumph. But we know it's a false one because we've seen all this shit go on as an audience. We know it's not going to last. Um, and the son's quasi romantic love interest chooses cat in the cradle for like a a a karaoke song mm-hmm. like yeah, that song would be super on the nose and appropriately lyrically for the situation they're in, but 
it's super inappropriate to the emotion that they're supposed to be in at this time and the characters are supposed to be feeling. It's like... Well, that's it, the irony of it, right? It's, it's meta-clever. And I, I, that's why I felt like this is like... You know, you're right. The lyrics do match the eventual state of Saul and Jimmy's relationship configuration, but also matches up enough... Like, we're acting like there's years that elapse between Jimmy graduating college and Chuck being, like, disappointed slash scared slash... No, like, Jimmy came to the firm for a job, and, like, the day he graduated, or the day he passed the bar, and Howard was like, yeah, let's let's give him something for life, and, and Chuck said no. So, like... To me, that's that Chuck that's going to try to quash, squash his brother's ambitions is this Chuck. And he's unironically singing this song about the uh, a winner taking an unfair advantage in emotional relationship. I, I don't know. Like, it's ham-fisted, number one. Number two, it's emotionally inappropriate. That's my take. Huh. So... Um, the fact that like, you know, it's like, uh, what, what, uh, Mike here says, um, the fact that Kim picks out the song is so appropriate because she becomes a witness. Well, but she doesn't know that in this moment. And like, I I don't know. Well, yeah. And again, like, why would she pick that song out of all the songs? Just because did she not know the ABBA song, the winner takes it all. And she thinks this is a triumphant winning song. I don't, I don't know. And if she did, I, I would have bet. I guess I would have rather they played that where the brothers are singing and they kind of have an awkward looks at each other. Like, oh, this is uncomfortable. You mm-hmm. know? Anyway. Another example. Like, uh, no. I keep. I think I've dug myself in. Should I dig myself in further or should I move on, Jim? I'll let, let you be the arbiter. I think we should move on. Okay. Yeah. So you're never going to see how low I could have gone, <laughs> listeners. Uh, Chris from Ajax, Ontario. Up to the end of winter, the show has felt like a story of likable Jimmy McGill, who had all the talents necessary to be a great lawyer and a cool person. If he could just catch a break and make Chuck see him for who he really is. Hmm. Maybe Chuck did all along. Think about it. If Jimmy were really the good guy who needed a break, getting out from the oppressor Chuck would have made him better, but it didn't. He scammed the Neff copiers into and out of a job, stole their Hummel, ran their cell phone operation he knew would contribute to crime and committed fraud in order to get Huel off. I was on team hashtag fuck Chuck for a long time, but now I think maybe Chuck was right all along. Jimmy's bad and dangerous dude. I was trying to, uh, so was was it trying to impress Chuck that kept Jimmy in line and he had been much worse much sooner with no Chuck in his life? Now that he's going to devolve from elder law practice to counseling Walt and Jesse to straight up murdering Badger pretty fast. Guess he was just a chimp with the machine gun all along. Uh, Does this turn at the end of 410 make you reevaluate your judgment in liking Jimmy thus far? I mean, I I still like to watch Jimmy do the Jimmy thing, you know? I still like watching Slipping Jimmy. Uh, here's the thing. I, I guess I view the flashback that they gave us mm-hmm. of Jimmy as a, a young kid mm-hmm. uh, seeing his dad get scammed. And it, I view that as a defining moment in who Jimmy is as a human being where he sees that and he vows, I'm never going to be the sucker. Mm-hmm. And to him over the years, that becomes not only just not being a sucker, mm-hmm. but making other people suckers because yeah. then you have the one up on them and you know, you're not the sucker. Yeah. Uh, that, that to me is a defining moment. So yes, I, I do think Jimmy has always been, you, you know, if you want to say always is that eight year old or whatever that mm-hmm. he, he was at the time, he's always been slipping Jimmy. Yeah. That's just who he is at the core. And I think Chuck correctly evaluated him. Chuck, is also a huge asshole. I don't want to let him off the hook, but I, I do think Jimmy could be a scary guy uh, from that perspective. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I guess like sometimes when I think back of some friends that I'm not in contact with or like, you know, people who have died, um, you know, it's like when you're thinking about those good times and you, you have you think about the laughs and all that. Then there's always at the end, like that little sigh of like, oh, man, I don't, you know, the person's no longer here or that person turned out to go off the deep end and got sucked into drugs and alcohol or whatever. Um, I feel like that's how I feel when I watch Jimmy. Like, I do find myself getting caught up and laughing and like, but then it's always a little bit of like a, ah, but, you know, because you know where it's going. Yeah. Um, It doesn't make me feel retrospectively bad. Like... You know, it just makes it I I feel like, you know, that's a great testament to the character. The fact that, like, I think of him like uh, a strange friend. I don't hate or regret spend the time I spent with him, but I'm sad for the way things are turning out. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, that's why the show's still a great show, despite commentary. Man, Tom J, he sent a lot, and I'm going to have to cut it down for time, but he has a question that I did want to, t- to talk about. Did y'all have trouble believing that Jimmy would write $23,000 check for just a gamble? It's so much fucking money. Just buy a new car, four bottles of Zafiro and Ao. Uh, $23,000. Well, he doesn't want Zafiro. He can get Zafiro anytime he wants. Just scam can into it. That's true. Uh, yeah, $23,000 is a lot of money to put out on the line like that. If it doesn't pay off, you're out. You're out quite a bit. But then again, he made the twenty three thousand in what a couple months. Yeah, doing the cell phone thing. Doing the cell phone thing. He's making some real good money with the cell phones. I think twenty three grand as a potential investment in the entirety of his future, right, is not that much in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, especially when like, let me ask you this: like, let's say that all else, you're kind of in a stable situation. And you could risk $23,000 on a 50-50 chance that you would come out of that. That's all you got to do. You'd come out of that a fully functional law, lawyer that can practice the law. I have no desire to be that, but I understand. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah. like that is a... And, and, that's a huge pay... Because he's already been through law school. He, we know that he's successful in pra- his version of practicing the law. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I think... There's like, a sunk cost here. Yeah. And, like, every legal student has spent that plus more to be that's a lawyer. I mean, yeah. So, like, yeah. Like, I think that's a completely rational thing to do. Because if it works... He's a lawyer again, and his earning mm. income uh, potential is like, oh, it's variable. He could be a public defender barely making it, or he could land himself in another pi- sandpiper. So, And I think when Jimmy says uh, in his failed speech to the, mm. the reinstatement board, mm-hmm. the, the panel there, that he really, really enjoys practicing law. That was like the thought of being able to be a lawyer again was the thing that drove him. Yeah. I think that's actually true. Yeah. Like, it's weird. In the first interview, I think he was more honest than in the second interview. Yeah. When he talked about his brother, you know? Because the first interview, he's saying things that are relevant to him, and we know that's what he's focused on. Uh, I think he loves being a lawyer, and so to get that back is a thing that he desperately wants. Yeah. And for many reasons, right? He's putting the $23,000 out here, not for just his law license, Mm -hmm. but also to get Kim, right? Like, there's this weird perverse thing where he's sort of buying Kim's... Uh, but buying their future together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's fucked up, but it's there. Uh, he so thinks this is all going to be like, oh, we're going back to the law office. Yeah. Uh, Wexler McGill, that kind of thing. So you have a potential successful legal career and the girl. Yeah. A lot of people pay 23 grand for that. <laughs> a lot of people have paid yeah. 23 grand. Like Russian mail order brides. I don't know how much uh-huh. they are, but I think that's probably around there. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and it's and, a lot of money to to me certainly. Yeah. And it's a probably a scary thing for him to do, but I think it's the thing he's got to do. Yeah. I mean, shit. Five years ago, I invested a lot more than twenty five grand in this fucking venture. Yeah. And it true. was a long shot. <laughs> it was a long shot. So like, yeah, like if you're if you're swinging for defenses for something, you, sometimes people get the wild hairs to do it. You know. Yeah. My dad and my age pushed all his money in retirement into a fucking ranch in the heart of Texas to be a cowboy with his brother. Like people do people do weird shit all the time. All right. To try to be happy. So uh let's see, Ed. I'm wondering if you guys have been thinking about Kim's arc for season five. Nope. As far as thing in my mind. Uh personally I think it would make a lot of sense if Kim ran for office. Okay. Whoa, but how many internet points are you wagering here, Ed? Uh, she clearly wants to help people and uh, Mesa Verde no longer being her sole responsibility. Kim probably has enough time to get a campaign off the ground. Hunting for an incum- the incumbent DA would be the obvious choice, as she's now had exposure to how the system can really screw people over. Plus, if the DA is as well liked by the presumably tight-knit legal community at- of Albuquerque, that would create some interesting tension between Kim and her colleagues. I think this definitely works as a natural progression for Kim's arc from season five or four. And in some ways, Jimmy slash Saul would be the perfect campaign manager slash political operative. What do you guys think? Uh, I mean, okay, this is kind of like in danger of being the thing that I suggested at the outside of the podcast, which is to go in a bizarre Boston legal like, mm-hmm. except for this would be the season. It's almost like how Archer has been like Archer Miami, then Archer Old Timey Detective, and then Archer Indiana. Like, the guy's gotten bored with the concept, so he just comes out with these weird stunt seasons. Um, yeah, this would be Better Call Saul. He is a sleazy campaign manager. Like, you can see it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this writes itself. Absolutely. Is it Better Call Saul? I don't know. I don't know. What if? How many montages does it have? What if? Oh, a three an episode. What? Like, let me ask you this: What if they wrapped up Better Call Saul, uh-huh. and then they came back with a series, kind of like the Lone Gunman to the X Files, which is like Better Call Saul, the lo- the the Lost Case Files, mm-hmm. where it is like, okay, it's a new show, everyone get rinse, and it's just it's just a different episode of Saul doing some Saul stuff. Maybe there's a season where it's like looking back at Kim and her her <laughs> unsuccessful bid to be DA. I, yeah, I mean. I just I just can't see it as being better call Saul. It's too out of the envelope. Yeah, I I think I'm with you on that. Cuz here's the uh, thing. And then, and then again, I don't I don't know. I mean, Kim definitely could have an upward trajectory in her life. Sure. I think she's shedding Jimmy. <laughs> smart enough, right? Getting rid of Jimmy would would take a lot of weight. It's addition by subtraction uh off her back. So, yeah, I mean, she could definitely have an upward trajectory and office would could be that right mm-hmm. i mean so many legal professionals go mm-hmm. into politics yeah so maybe I, I i could potentially see that but i don't know that i see jimmy running her campaign hmm. i i just think like after the moment we have at the end howard, of this season howard campaign howard manager maybe could manage a campaign and that's like that's how they take up the slack from It'd be hilarious if the last season is just Jimmy is sidelined and it's it's Kim running a campaign with Howard and it's Mike <laughs> prosecuting a drug uh, war no. with Gus. Yep, uh, that will piss people off. But here, but the other thing is like, I what he became Saul at the end of season four. This That's show, <laughs> this show had like 80 percent of the Breaking Bad numbers when they started, right? 
And then they 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 lost audience, lost audience. They found kind of like a bottom in the end of season two, and they've steadily built on that. This is actually now a show that instead of shedding Breaking Bad fans, has grown from that nucleus and started growing again. Hmm. I think if they changed it up too much, that they would then now be making a show for an audience that they built up that doesn't want it. So like that that's this is, feels a little bit too swingy for me. A little bit too more lost case files. Uh, Jason from Chi-Town says, Longtime listener of Bald Move, I caught a small but obviously important detail that uh, is brought up in Breaking Bad and this week's Better Call Saul. In Season 5 of Episode 6 of Breaking Bad, Saul convinces Hank and the DEA to stop tailing Mike because they will lose if they go to trial because jo- Judge Papadumia thinks he's a snappy dresser. In this week's season finale, Jimmy is apparently unaware of Papadumia but is drawn to her name on the list of judges. Uh, will season five of Better Call Saul introduce this judge, and why is this judge important to the shaping of Saul Goodman and Albuquerque judicial politics? I mean, I do think that they have gone through. They they did a rewatch of Breaking Bad, uh-huh. and they said, "Let's pull out every fucking moment." Yeah, with why Jimmy, not? With, and with this Saul, makes sense, right? And and let's see if there's something there that we can do something with in Better Call Saul. And that's something we always said that, that Vince did is like he strip-mined the past to build like a more coherent in this case, he strip-mined the future. He strip-mined the future, yeah. exactly. But it's the same principle. It's the stuff that came... Like they pay attention to their own continuity in usually yeah. smart ways. So... Uh, but if you don't remember, this is where uh, Mike uh, sued the DEA for harassment and got a, a restraining order. Mm-hmm. And when in the banter between him and... Uh, 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 shit hank he says you know because they're him and gilmer giving him shit about his his attire he goes you know like this you know who likes a suit judge papa uh, dumian she thinks i'm a snappy dresser you know what judge papa dumian hates police harassment that's the full quote uh moving on to jeremy r from south carolina after watching the finale i can't help but think with the board review interview in comparison to the job interview jimmy does at the copier store in episode two during the copier interview, Jimmy did everything right and sells himself to employers, yet when they cannot see that he is insincere, he flies off the handle. During the board review mir- uh, hearing, Jimmy does everything right and sells himself to the board. When they see through it and see that he's insincere, he can't uh, understand why. Do you think the first interview impacted the way Jimmy approached the initial board meeting? After seeing how he reacted to copier guys, wouldn't some part of Jimmy appreciate that the board wasn't so easily fooled? Yeah, that's... Interesting. Is an interesting dangling plot thread that doesn't line up the way I can't imagine the ghouligans would want it to because you're right. I mean, a lot happened between those two points and I'm it's true. There's a montage I'm, months past hard to contextualize all that. Uh, but I, I do see what you're getting at and those are two similar situations. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I guess I don't have anything to add. I think you, I you found know. a potential plot hole, or maybe it's something that they meant for us to see as uh, analogous situations that didn't quite pay off. Because I think you're right about like the inverse of Jimmy being totally sincere and above board and getting rejected as insincere, and then Jimmy being completely insincere and fraudulent and being hailed as sincere. Like that's obviously intentional, but this one here seems like it's a it's a dangling thread. Um. Maria from Oop State, New York. I love when Jimmy and there were the Kim and Jimmy storyline went this year. Looking ahead to next season, because clearly Jimmy is going most, if not full on Saul. How do you think it's going to weigh on Kimmy? 
Uh, I'm just going to start calling it Kimmy. I'm tired of fighting it. Jim slash it's Kimmy. Okay. Kimmy means Jim and Jimmy and Kim as a unit. I still don't know what Kim's decisions seem to follow her character's logic and early season morals. We either see her enjoy the grift on Ken wins or earlier. We see her enjoy the grift on Ken wins, but that isn't truly law breaking or lying to the system uh, that we see her have a passion for thoughts. I guess we haven't really talked about this. Have we come around to the fundamental moral failings of Kim in the later stages of this season? Or are we still thinking that's a little bit of a... I mean, we had a lot of smart takes where, like, you know, essentially Kim didn't know what she wanted. And, like, mm-hmm. this was... Or like, but And maybe she still doesn't. But I still... I still feel like that wasn't as handled as well as it could have done. I agree. I mean, I think that's what they were going for. They just didn't quite nail that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, where do you think the Jimmy and Saul fall on the nature versus nurture debate? We know there's some sort of, uh, there, there's some shortcuts and love for the dramatic with Jimmy. However, with the elder care, care law, we also see his desire to help his clients. He does seem to actually care. And even his reaction to his former client's death seems to touch him. Does Chuck create Saul by the reinforcement of Jimmy's scheming ways? If Chuck embraced and took Jimmy under his wing would Jimmy have become a product, uh, productive law-abiding lawyer with a few minor outbursts for the flare and the flash. Was Jimmy always going to become the chimp with the machine gun that Chuck was, and uh, Chuck was right all along? Um, so what do you think? Do you think... I mean, I do think that Jimmy has a very high potential to abuse his right. knowledge and, and position of power as a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, I think Chuck's got him pegged on that. But, uh, I mean, I... I don't know. I mean, he clearly finds something that he enjoys about the elder law, yeah. right? And it, I think it is coming down to, like, helping those people. He's not a bad guy. He just loves those shortcuts. He loves to have the upper hand yeah. uh, in a situation. And whether he's using that for good or bad, uh, he's 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 able to swing between those two things. Yeah, and I think there is a little bit of equal and opposite here from Chuck and Jimmy. Like, Chuck loves the law, and I, you get the sense that, like, he's going to give his best go, but, like, if he loses the case, like, he'll get bummed from the fact that, like, he didn't, you know, successfully apply the law in the right way. But, like, mm. I never get that Chuck really loses a lot of sleep about his clients, where Jimmy loves his clients and sees the law as an obstacle to getting them the the, the redress that they need and yeah. doesn't doesn't mind playing around the system because he sees the system plays around it en- enough as it is. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I see it. Like, you know, Chuck is just doesn't have the emotion and Jimmy doesn't have quite the, the law acumen. Yeah. Um, it's the, they'd be the perfect lawyer if they could combine forces. Uh, don't have too many. You've got two, just two brief ones left. Um, Matt K after watching four seasons of better call Saul, I'm ultimately feeling like the show we got isn't quite what the, the one that I'd hoped for, even though it's wonderfully acted, beautifully shot and the stories for the most part, pretty good. It feels like if this had been Breaking Bad, Walt would have waited until the end of season four to start cooking meth. <laughs> would Better Call Saul have worked better if once or twice a season an episode was featured in the Breaking Bad era? It would still be a little harder to convey the timeline, but I can't help but think that showing something like Saul's week leading up to the meeting of Walt and Jesse for the first time would have been really cool, similar to the origin of the Winnebago cold open in Breaking Bad. This would help fuel, hmm. fill in the stately pace of the show. I think that's an interesting concept. Uh, yeah, because I I could see like showing, like juxtaposing who we know Jimmy's gonna become 
with the things Jimmy's struggling with in this Better Call Saul present. Yeah. That could be really interesting. They, I mean, it's essentially what Lost did, right? I mean, Lost, every episode would uh, have a flashback about, yeah. that tied into the events that were happening on the island. Right. So you understand, you, this would be a flash forward to the Saul era that would then set up a moral, almost a parable type framework that then you'd understand the season and the episode. In. Right. Yeah. I think that could be super interesting. It's not how they went. Yeah. And I, like I said, I... The thing is, if I'd have made this show, it would have been the Breaking Bad, uh, or it'd been the Better Call Saul uh, Variety Hour. It would have been a serialized. It it would have been a uh, episodic kind of Boston legal thing, and it wouldn't have been this good. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can definitely say my criticisms of of the of the show that we got, but like, man, trying to figure out how to fix it or do better, I feel like uh, I'm not as good at. Tom G in West Virginia. Much discussion on pace or lack, uh, or on pace or the lack thereof, uh, and a cha- as a challenge to you, sum up this entire season with what actually happened in the fewest words possible. Winners crowned the smart one. I can never figure out which one is which. Uh, also, Mike and Gus need a PMI, certified project management professional. Uh, the PMP, the pimp, if you will. Few. What happened? Fewest words possible. Uh, Jimmy disappoints Kim. Jimmy lets Kim down. Super Lab is is started. Super Lab no, started is good because half built is two words. Yeah. Super Lab is started. Uh yeah, Jimmy Super Lab begins. Disappoints Kim. Jimmy disappoints Kim. Hurts. Jimmy hurts, hurts Kim. Hurts Kim? Okay. Yeah. Cause like disappointment, like she does that a lot. He does that a lot. But I think he genuinely like hurt her. Mm-hmm. For the first time, th- th- this this last episode and or this L- whole season, Lalo appears. Lalo appears. All right, is that good? I think that covers the whole season. Yeah, that's eight words. <laughs> Can we do it to throughout? cover the entire season? It's good thing we don't have a wrap up wrap up because uh, Tom, which I believe at one point was our uh, you know po- uh, poet laureate of uh, of a bre- uh, bald move, he challenged us to put those into a haiku. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't, so we're not going to. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, we, also, the the other thing that happens is... Uh, Way too many syllables, Jim. J- you never Jimmy, gonna write a haiku this way. Jimmy regains license. Is that as short as I can do? Jimmy relicensed? Jimmy... <laughs> reinstated. Jimmy reinstated. Jimmy there reinstated. Two words. There we go. Jimmy... So it'd be Jimmy hurts Kim and is reinstated. That's three extra words now. Really? Yeah. Kimmy hurts Jim, semicolon, reinstated. <laughs> Jimmy reinstated, semicolon, hurts Kim. Okay. Boom! Yeah. Now we're back in haiku territory. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. Um, you know, uh, you can send feedback to BCS, uh, better castle at baldmove.com if you want, but we probably won't uh, read. We're definitely going to read it on air. A better thing to do might be to go to forums to talk about our uh, end of season thoughts at forums.baldmove.com. Uh, we might uh, stop by and, and, and interact if something looks interesting. Um, of course, this is the end of Better Call Saul, but it's not the end of our coverage at Bald Move. Good Lord, no. We've got uh, Matthew Weiner's Romanovs, speaking of golden age of AMC content, uh, coming back. Uh, we're, we're doing that on Bald Move TV. Uh, we're doing David Simon's uh, the, the follow-up uh, to all of his great works, I guess Treme and The Wire, uh, with uh, The Deuce. 
Uh, Cecily and I, my wife, are doing American Horror Story, and it's a really good season, American Horror Story. Um, a really fun season. We've got bald movies going on all the time. Uh, we've got this super serious film fest involving Nick, Nick Cage coming up. Uh, we're getting back into the Game of Thrones game uh, with Fire and Blood. George Martin's book comes out later in November. Also another book coming out, the one that I wrote. Uh, we'll have a couple of uh, uh, episodes of coverage of those things. So much stuff going on year-round at baldmove.com. Don't forget about us, baldmove.com. And we'll see you, if nothing else, back for Season 5 of Better Cast Saul, Better Call Saul, Better Casting Saul. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.